Now, at the top of the recording, actually, this is, I could have even told you this before the recording because I forgot that I had put this, I had written this down to tell you about. Have you ever heard about a musical called The Last Five Years? I have not. I have not heard of this. Okay. So it's a musical and the plot is that at the beginning of the musical, the girl and the boy break up. And then the musical goes over the last five years and each song, I believe it's the girl's songs go backwards. So the first song is her singing about them breaking up and then what happened before that and then what happened before that and the boy's songs go forward. So his first song is about them meeting. And so she sings and he sings and you find out about them meeting as you find out about them breaking up and then the holes in the story get filled by the end of the story. Okay. Because as she goes back and he goes forward, eventually they meet in the middle and then pass each other. Yes, exactly. That's interesting. That sounds really cool. But do you want to know something cooler? Yeah. Somebody has made a special Hamilton Eliza The Last Five Years playlist. Oh, shit. And it's it's nine songs... Um, let me see if I can find it. I have it, and I listen to it, and it is a great way to, like, the songs become fresh listening to them like this, and it is so sad. Just reframing, reframing their relationship. Yeah, exactly. And you have to have, like, you have to be familiar with the story for it to be poignant. But, I yeah. mean, you are. And I've, I've listened to Hamilton at least seven times now in its entirety, like, from beginning to end. So it's who lives, who dies, who tells your story. Give me a sec. I'm going to write this down. Oh, okay. Yeah, I could actually send it to you. You should, there. please. Um, you should do that. Yes, I'm going to. Um, but it's who lives, who dies, who tells your story. Then a winter's ball. Then burn. The story of tonight reprise. The one they sing at the... Um, at the end of the wedding. Yeah, at the wedding. And then in the one in the middle is take a break. Because the idea is, in the in the last five years, the two characters only sing together for one song in the middle. At the height of their relationship with each other. Exactly. And this is, I mean, this, I haven't, it matches up perfectly that they were also able to do this for this, for Hamilton. And it's just, it's heartbreaking that that's the one that lines up. Yeah, and I then, mean. And then that would be enough and say no to this, then helpless, and best of wives, best of women. I know, oh I couldn't remember God. while I was listening to it what the last song was. And I'm like, oh no, is this, is it, it's quiet uptown? Because, like, it would make sense, right? But it was best of wives, best of women, and for some reason, that just broke my heart. It's, like, it was over. Because that's... It signifies the end of their relationship, but not in the not in the the classical way of two people breaking up, but in the way of this is the moment when he he considers himself to be a dead man, and he does. Exactly. Yeah. Oh man. I just figured you'd love that. I'm I'm but... down. I'm I'm gonna check this out when we're uh, not today, but maybe maybe uh, sometime tomorrow while I'm editing. But another thing that I found out about. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, I was, um, putting the tags on some of the older episodes. I was, like, updating the tags. I was putting different characters on them so they could be searched. And basically, for the hell of it, not that I thought anybody would search this on iTunes, I put Udamadamakinen. 
Oh my god. And to make sure I spelled it right, I googled his name. Uh Uh-huh. And I found his Wikipedia page. Oh my god. And the thing is, his Wikipedia page is nuts because I can see where the plot of Pocahontas 2 came from. Oh my god. You're shitting me. It's... It's absolutely true because he actually came with Pocahontas to um to England. He was a Powhatan holy man apparently, and he knew John Smith. And it even has that um the chief requested him to count the number of people in England. And what he did is he picked up a stick and started making notches in it. And it says he grew weary of the task. Oh my god! And. The chief also asked him to discover whether Smith was still alive because the natives had been told that John Smith was dead. What the f- I'm- I'm at the- I- I just typed myself to this Wikipedia page and what the- Holy shit. I was- I genuinely did not think that that particular line of, uh, story had anything to do with history and it kinda does. The best joke in the movie is a thing that actually happened. Yeah. fills me with joy. Holy shit. They were never given a formal audience with King James, but they actually did meet him at a pa- at the at a ball. And what was crazy is there's a quote about him that he said about the king, "You gave Powhatan a white dog, which Powhatan fed it as himself, but your king gave me nothing, and I am better than your white dog." And that's that's a really interesting thing for him to say. More importantly though, it seems like Percy the dog was a historical character too. Like, how deep does this particular rabbit hole go? I don't. Well, I I, I mentioned to you uh, during during the Pocahontas episode that the uh, raccoon Miko was the name of a Native American spirit, and it was originally supposed to have speaking lines. So I think it does go pretty, pretty damn deep. deep. And it's just this is crazy. It's it's a it's a little bit fucking crazy. This is insane. I don't want to think about this anymore. Okay, we. We won't. I just needed to bring it up. Yeah, no, this is cool. Because I I feel like maybe we didn't give the people who wrote Pocahontas 2 quite enough credit. Because apparent, apparently they went deep. They they may have went deep, but like let's be honest, they didn't do much with it. They could have done much cooler things with what I just read. They, they found out that some Native Americans thought John Smith was dead, so they had him fake his own death. They, yeah, they, they were like, huh, John Smith fake death conspiracy that entire opening sequence with john smith fencing on rooftops was entirely unnecessary they could have cut that yes out of the it movie. was unnecessary but i'm glad it's there and also i wanted to ask you uh how is the gaping hole in your chest doing right so as people listening to this will tell my voice is not at its usual um timber timber yeah i'm I have a very sore throat. That's a side effect from the heavy painkillers I'm on right now. But I'm doing good. The surgeon gave me a clean bill of health. Uh, with the quote, don't overdo it. Whatever that means. Sure. Yes, don't do any, like, heavy appendix lifting stuff. You can't do any appendix-based activities anymore. I can't do appendix-based activities for the rest of my life, seeing as I no longer have one. But... Look, you're just going to have to lead a different kind of life, Andy. <laughs> yep, uh, an, a, a life without an appendix. How will I manage? Exactly. All I really know about uh, appendicitis is what I've learned from scrubs. And what I learned from scrubs is an appendectomy is pretty much the first surgery you learn. I actually didn't have a, a full appendectomy. I had a laparoscopic appendectomy, um, which means that they didn't cut me open. They just poked three holes in my body. 
Oh, and they just sucked it out? Uh, sort of. They they stapled it in order to both close the connection between the appendix and my other organs, as well as severing it from the other organs. It's a very cool procedure that people can, like, look up if they want to. So, um, give me a sec. I need to close the door to the room. Yeah, I am hearing some, like, voices. Yeah. All right. I think, I think I'm ready to get started. Okay, now do you want to do it? <laughs> no, no, you're good. You're good. You go. No, I mean, you can if you want. I'm, I'd rather not, really. Welcome to direct video I am your host, Tony Robusto. And I am your sickly host, uh, Andres Reyes. Yes, and Andy comes to us in the form of a, of a particularly weak ghost. <laughs> <laughs> this week we're talking about Kronk's New Groove. Yes, Kronk's New Groove. <sighs> I honestly thought would have more charm. Yeah, I love Patrick Warburton. Who he's the voice of Kronk. He's he's in he was in Seinfeld. He was in Sex in the City. He was in Friends. He's pretty much been in every sitcom as some bit character, and I love him mm-hmm. every time he shows up on screen. He's fantastic. Well, and I said, I think I said last time, I love uh, particularly the old Tick show. Yes, yes. And he was hilarious as the Tick. He's a fantastically charismatic actor. And somehow, Disney managed to make a movie that revolves entirely around his voice. One of the worst things I have ever let myself watch. There are so many reasons it wasn't good, but to get into that, we need to talk about why The Emperor's New Groove was good. The Emperor's New Groove is one of the best Disney accidents to ever happen. Yes, I will say that that is probably the best way to describe it, too. The best Disney accident. Like, even the entire premise of The Emperor's New Groove, like, if I just pitched it to you, like, hey... We're thinking of making a David Spade comedy uh, starring him and John Goodman in which a Mayan king, in order to learn how to be a better person, turns into a llama. And I would say, let's do it, because I've seen The Emperor's New Groove. True. <laughs> the, the movie I remember David Spade being in before The Emperor's New Groove was Joe Dirt, which is Oof. terrible. I remember him from uh, Just Shoot Me. Did you ever see Just Shoot Me? I never did, actually. No. He was okay in it. He was like the, uh, he played the same character he sort of always plays, which is sort of likable, but kind of an asshole. Yeah. Yeah. Which is David who Spade, Cusco yeah. is, 100%. Yes. And that's the thing, though, is I think before The Emperor's New Groove came out, like that, that pitch would have been laughed out of every movie room or wherever magical place people go to pitch movies in Hollywood. Yeah, the movie room. Somebody calls it that. Some kind of, let's say a pitch meeting, maybe? Yeah, sure, pitch meeting. It makes it sound like we know what we're talking about. It's, it makes it sound very official, yes. Instead of the movie room. Yeah, if, like we have secret insider knowledge. Right. Because Because we do, definitely. We have both definitely been to Hollywood. Yeah, my uncle works at Nintendo, actually. <laughs> Which isn't Hollywood, but it the joke, I think the joke lands. Right. I And when I went to Hollywood, I definitely didn't spend the whole time at the La Brea Tar Pits. I mean, if you did, you'd have a better Hollywood vacation than most people. The La Brea Tar Pits are awesome. They are awesome, and we can talk about them if we ever do an Ice Age one. <laughs> uh, I don't think Ice Age has had a direct-to-video sequel. I think all of them have landed in the theater. Yeah, they keep sticking them in theaters. So, And people keep watching them. 
because, I mean, they made one pretty okay movie and then a bunch of, like, not bad movies. You know, Ray Romano and John Leguizamo still need work, so. <laughs> right. They gotta eat. Exactly. So The Emperor's New Groove. I have a confession about this movie. Most of the notes I took on it are just quotes that I loved, and so I wrote down. There are a lot of great lines in the movie, and a lot of great bit animation. Like, yes. There's a lot of background animation in the movie. Well, but what I what I love about the lines is it sounds like genuine banter. Like the kind of stuff that you usually only get in movies where the actors can see each other and like really bounce off of each other. Yeah, yeah, they did. And like John Goodman is one of my favorite actors of all time. Like no joke, whenever John Goodman walks on screen as a vo- or voices a character, I just love him. He he sounds like a really nice uncle. Yeah, he does. He didn't really do anything in the second movie. He was there. I looked it up to check and they got him back. It doesn't sound like him though. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was like, that's, that can't be him, right? And it was, and he just doesn't do anything. Oh my God, they got David Spade back too. What the hell? I knew they got David Spade back because I recognized him immediately as Cusco and all the Cusco scenes were the things that entertained me in that movie. Really? I didn't like them at all. Really? Because I was like, oh, I'm so sick of, like, this BS stuff. And then Kuzco pops up, and I'm like, oh, hey, be an asshole a little bit. So I can, like, so I can, like, get some, uh, God, what do you call it when you, what do you call it? Like, cleanse my palate. I See, the reason I didn't like it is because, A, he, he comes off as, like, I should have learned my lesson in the last movie, but let's be honest, audience, I didn't learn my lesson. Like, I don't know. It, it shallowed his character a little bit. Not as much as Emperor's New School, but, you know. I didn't think so, and the reason I didn't think so was... At the end of Emperor's New Groove, he has learned his lesson. He's not about destroying other people's lives for himself. And when he does build his vacation home, it's a little shack, right? But the way he goes about doing that is calling Pacha a liar. And is like, well, no, since, come on. since your hill's so bad, I'll have to build it someplace else. Because Cusco, even in the end, I don't think he, he's learned his lesson, but I don't think he can be sincere. I mean, but that's the thing, though, is is that entire scene doesn't come off as like, oh, you're you're a liar. And it doesn't come off as sarcastic. It comes off as like, like, yeah, he, he still can't come out and just do, like, just say nice things. But that, that takes time to learn. Right, but if I, if you, if we accept that as part of his character, then he can still be sort of an, sort of just kind of a jerk ass in everyday life, but also be a genuinely good person. I think, I think my, my want for it would be for him to sincerely say asshole things, like at the end of The Emperor's New Groove, and not this whole, hey guys, it's me, the actor David Spade. Here's the thing though, and we're already talking about the second movie without even talking about the first. Do you want to, do you want to wait? Do you want me to just go over the first movie? Yeah, go over the first movie, because this is one of the things I wanted to bring up about the second. All right, so The Emperor's New Groove was released December of the year 2000. It was a box office flop. It had an overinflated budget of an estimated $100 million, and it only made back about $90 million. Fuck. Um, so, yeah, it, it was it was Disney's last big movie of that uh, era, really. And it would be a while before Disney got their got their groove back. Huh. Hey. Are we leaving that in? <laughs> the cop. Yeah, cough and all. Okay, good. All right, keep going. 
I need people to know how much that killed me. So, um, the the production of this movie was filled with hardships. There's even a uh, documentary that's really hard to find that was filmed by, I believe, Sting's maybe current, but definitely at the time, uh, wife. Right, and uh, I sort of I, I sort of want to uh, do an episode where we actually watch that one. Yeah, we're we're gonna need to go out and find it, and I would love to talk about it as well. And I kind of sort of wonder, and this is this is going a little bit off topic, I kind of sort of wonder if we can eventually do an episode where we, like, do, like, a bunch of stuff like that and sort of, like, tie it in with old episodes. I thought of that after I saw the Udamadamak and Wikipedia page, and I was like, man, there's more about... Like, do some follow-up? Yeah, about these other movies that we can get into. Yeah. Hell, yeah, definitely, definitely. But, yeah, it despite it not being a monetary success, this movie was amazingly reviewed. Like, everyone kind of came out of it saying pretty much, like, this is a very different Walt Disney movie, but it's definitely got a lot of charm and a lot of love in it. And it did really well out of the box office. Um, it's VHS and DVD releases sold crazy, um, and people still Wait, talk it's, about it's it. Wait, you know? it's, it's what? It's what? It's VHS? VHS and DVD release, yeah. VH VHS VHS yeah v- VHS. VHS question mark question mark. Sorry, keep going. <laughs> oh man, and thank you for indulging me there. No, don't worry about it. If we're gonna, if we have to have a crazy in joke, that might as well be the one, right? Right, gotta commit to the bit. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, like if. This is definitely something that we're going to have to talk about if we do decide to watch that documentary, but I encourage everyone to at least look a little bit into the production of this movie. It is insane. Like, Yeah, that's all I've ever heard about it. It's just just because there are no gritty details. There's only like outside like sprinklings of information, but people don't talk about why like why this movie is the way it is. Mm-hmm. It's definitely got a lot of grudge. It's a shame because the movie that ended up coming out is pretty damn great. Like, Yeah, it's just charming and it's clever and funny. It's got a lot of heart. It's got... I just cannot... I have a smile on my face the entire time I'm watching this movie. Oh, it's so great. I love this movie. <coughs> that was a good cough. Thank you. I genuinely hope I'm not killing you by uh, recording a podcast with you. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, it's fine, honestly. Yeah, it's fine. Everything's fine. I think I think definitely with this and with uh, me going back to having full-time classes, we are going to have to ship this to a bit of a bi-weekly thing. And that's fine because I can ex- I can accept that because I'm doing none of the work editing. I was just like looking at editing earlier today and I was like, man, I don't get it. <laughs> it's, it's, I don't know. I, I, I find a joy in it. I, I really like doing it, but I can see how, how other people would find it daunting. I'm sure if I did, the thing is, I'm sure if I did like one episode, then the next episode would be a lot easier, but it's getting that first episode done that would be rough. Just a quick, uh, a quick summary that's a bit more in-depth than the pitch that I made earlier. Emperor Cusco is the king of what seems to be a Mayan kingdom. Sure, somewhere in Mesoamerica, definitely. Yeah, def- some Mesoamerican kingdom. And he is, like, through the amazing beginning intro sequence, musical intro mm-hmm. sequence, established as being very vain- very selfish and very cruel for the sake of cruelty, almost. Yeah, and I wrote down, uh, he's a good, likable sociopath. 
Yeah, definitely. He doesn't see a reason to care about other people, but he's very charismatic. So charismatic, like... Um, as the ruler of this Mesoamerican kingdom, he has an issue with his royal advisor, Yzma, who has, according to him, been behind his back running the kingdom, which he finds intolerable. He really doesn't like that she's doing that. Yeah, it's funny because I don't know if it's because she's like stepping on his toes or because she's trying to do his duty. It sort of seems like it's because she's trying to do his duty, but it's probably because she's stepping on his toes. Because he says, this is my job. And you'd think that he actually wouldn't want to do it because he doesn't seem to care about anything, but he finds it reason enough to fire her. Yeah, that's the thing, is Yzma obviously doesn't care about the peasants. I mean, in like the short scene in which she is ruling, the line that she says is, um, God, my memory's what's, going. What's the point of being a peasant if you can't even... Oh, what's the line? It, it was like, um, she was kind of like dismissing the peasant. Like, I don't understand why you have to come to me with all this talk of, uh, what was it that you needed again? Food. Ah, oh, you should have thought of that before you became peasants. Like, before you what? became peasants. Yeah, that's it. Like, okay. That's not, that's not how that works. Stuck the landing. <laughs> this movie does a great job of like introducing Cusco as being this terrible person and within the span of two seconds making Yzma hella worse like she yes. is instantly more unlikable than him and at the same time they introduce yizma they introduce Kronk. who again patrick warburton is just amazing yes but the reason the reason that this is important in the movie is because yizma and kuzco are only slightly different yes so they can't be each other's foils they need Kronk there to provide something to bounce off of. Right, they need Kronk there, and then later, Cusco uh, gets um, Pacha, Pacha. And so they both have their own foils, and they bounce off of each other more than they, than they do their adversaries. Oh, definitely. And it works. It's just real good. It's real clever. It's a great way to write a movie. Yeah, this entire movie is cutting between... Uh, Cusco and Pacha and Yzma and Krunk interacting with each other and both have amazing dynamics. All four characters are in in uh, in some way very gripping. Yes. After after Yzma is introduced at the beginning of the film, Emperor Cusco um, drops the fact that it's going to be his birthday soon and he decides to fire her and she does not take this well. Um, so she plots to poison him with her sidekick Kronk who I, I Kronk is such a weird character because on the one hand I love him and he's a very mm -hmm. lovable idiot but he is okay with totally killing Cusco yeah up until the moment he has to physically murder Cusco it's funny because there was that moment where he's like well it's a good thing you're not taking all this anger on the real Cusco and then she's like we'll kill him and he he's not into it but he does it. It's it's the same problem that, um... Oh, also, also, I wrote this down. And in oh, this great. scene, they say this. So, probably during this podcast, I'm going to say all the quotes that I have written down. <laughs> good, yes. But she's, a good way to do she's it. yelling about how he fired her, and she's like, I practically raised him! And he goes, yeah, you think he would have turned out better. <laughs> and it's just, oh, man. damn. 
It's I such, love that line. It's a great... Kronk has a lot of great lines. Everyone has a lot of great lines in this movie. Everybody honestly. has a lot of great lines. It's exclusively great lines. Honestly, this is like the one time a movie was written entirely... Like, this is a movie of, of j- banter and one-liners. And it's yeah. amazing. It's like if everybody was John Smith. <laughs> yeah. Can we just talk about The Emperor's New Groove for this whole podcast? I really want to. Let's let's see how far we can go before we finally decide to do our jobs. By the way, we, by the way, we did jump over um, because there's no reason you would have cared about this, but I played the Emperor's New Groove game when I was little. Oh my god. And in the game, there in each level, there's like a collectible. There's no reason to get them, but you know, it's like bragging rights. And it's his, uh, it's his little toy that he breaks in the beginning of the movie. Oh yeah, the- It's the pink oh, thing. Oh, right, right, right. And it's the, named- yes. and, and it's named Wompy. And the reason I know that is because he yells it whenever you catch it, and he just hugs it and goes, Wompy! And it's great. Also, also, there's the choosing your wife moment. Yeah, I was about to get to this. Yeah. So. Which was great because there's no reason for it to be in the movie, right? It's one of those scenes where it perfectly encapsulates, like, Cusco's character really quickly. It kind of does. Cusco's turning 18 and, like, the movie off, like, the movie just kind of mentions this but never talks about it. But he obviously has no siblings. His parents aren't around if he, since he was practically raised by Yzma. Right, when he quote-unquote dies, Yzma takes over, because she was the next in line, apparently. Yeah, because he has no heir. And his, I don't know what to call him, his, like, royal scribe is telling him, you need to pick a bride. And there are this this row of copy-pasted women with various hairstyles, and he just walks down this line like, hate your hair, (laughs) not likely. Yikes, yikes, yikes. And let me guess, you have a great personality. Yeah. And he doesn't even f- he doesn't even finish going through the line. Yeah, but the thing about the thing about that scene is that I think it must be left over from when the plot of the movie was that he falls in love with a shepherd girl. But it's still and I just really thought that works. was funny because it's the only thing I saw that felt like it was a holdover from that. Definitely, I just I could talk about the intro musical number all day. Yeah, but can you talk about the intro musical number for the next movie? I I'd rather not talk about this. <laughs> I'd rather not talk about the next movie at all. I think I think I'm gonna put in here just the uh, what is it? The snaps fingers theme song guy because that's a great sound bite. Yes, theme song guy. Good job, good job, future Andy. That's good. Yeah, that was amazing. Oh, I love it so much. Yep. Such a great. I don't know how. I don't know how podcast hosts are able to refer to something that isn't technically in existence yet. That it feels weird. Fake it till you make it, Andy. Just think of it as an appendix. It's not there, but <laughs> it could be. I. <laughs> I don't think that's how uh, a, a, a appendicitis works. Just so we're clear, um, and this is once again off topic, is your appendix still there? No, no, it's gone. Okay, so they did take it out eventually. Yeah, they, they yanked it out that same day. Okay. Yeah, it was literally, it was like exactly 24 hours after I sent you the last episode. Oh. I woke up in the middle of the night. Because my abdomen was in such pain, and I was like, I probably broke something. I should go to the doctor after I stopped by the DMV. Why did you stop by the DMV first? Because I meant to go Monday, and it didn't work out. Oh. It was already a thing I was going to do. 
Okay, you know what? I would probably do the same thing because I make stupid decisions about my body all the time. So Yzma and Kronk decide to uh, murder Cusco. And meanwhile, Cusco has invited uh, the chief of a village named Pacha, voiced by John Goodman, to discuss with him the hill that he lives on. And after they have a really short discussion, he says, yeah, this is where I'm going to put my new pool. And has this um, beautiful model of Pacha's village, by the way, which he then slams a diorama of a theme park on top of with a little party confetti button and a water slide. And Pacha understandably is wondering, well, where, where's, where's the rest of the village going to live? And Cusco's response is, I don't care. You figure it out. This is my birthday gift to me. Pacha tries to voice his objection and Cusco has, a, has him escorted out. And Pacha is understandably upset by this. He doesn't know what he's going to tell his wife. I'm sorry. I hate to interrupt you again. Yeah, no, no, um, go for it. Except it's like, it's like what I do, I've noticed from listening to the podcasts. And I think you actually cut out a lot of the times that I do interrupt you. <laughs> I think I just cut from me to you. I made a note of this scene because I think it's the only, the first time that Cusco has ever heard the word can't said to him before. It definitely seems like it. Like when Pacha says, you can't do this, he gets like offended. He gets, he gets very sinister. Like this is the most evil that Cusco gets. Well, no, no, it's not the most evil he gets in the movie. It's pretty close though. It's... No, it's not the most evil. I just remembered the other part. Yeah, <laughs> but right? It's, 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 it is up there, though. Let me know when I get to that part, um, what the part that you think is his most evil part, and we'll see if we're in agreement. So, Pacha decides to pick up some supplies from the capital before he leaves back home. Um, Cusco gets invited to a dinner hosted by Yzma and Krunk, uh, where they decide to poison him. Um, the poison, unfortunately, is actually... Llama extract, which apparently just turns people into llamas. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what, Andy, I don't know if you know this, that's what llama extract does. And I don't seem to have this note, but I remember thinking it, that Cusco is, you can tell that Cusco's sheltered because he does not assume that Yzma might be mad at him. Him being invited to dinner, because he does say, just so we're clear, you're cool with the whole being let go thing. Yeah, and he does, like, he does, like, start a conversation about, like, so what are you gonna do next? You're a little late in life, what are you gonna do? And it makes it sound like he cares, even though this is probably, like, a learned thing. He's the emperor, he has to act like he cares. We we learn later, though, that he does have a genuine, like, care for Yzma, even if he low-key hates her. He was very surprised when it turned out she was planning, she meant to kill him. Yeah, like, it shattered his worldview. Yeah, he he thought everybody was just there to help him with stuff, especially her. Right, we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves. We are, but it's important to establish character in this character who's, like, barely even in the second movie. We don't need to be talking about this, but we have to because it's how we stay sane. Yeah, because, oh god, I don't even, the far, just push, let's just keep pushing that second movie further away. So, Cusco gets turned into a llama, and Yzma tells Krunk to finish the job, just just murder the shit out of this guy. And Krunk doesn't want to. Krunk, Krunk to me, in this film, feels like, I don't know, like, he's definitely a fully functioning adult, but at the same time, he's very slow. He's, yeah, he's not, it seems like he's not all there. He's not stupid exactly. I think what it is is he's gullible. He's, yeah, he's not exactly a genius either. But the thing is, 
I kind of think of Kronk, like on a really bad day, I might think of myself in this situation. If I happen to be the type of person who would end up as the uh, main henchman to a villain, I would probably do everything the villain said and then feel terrible about it. <laughs> yeah, and not only that, but Kronk isn't Yzma's first sidekick. Like, apparently she's gone through a couple and she goes through them yearly. Yeah, that was fascinating to me. Like, that every couple of years she just tosses tosses out sidekicks. And I, I wonder what her reason for tossing out these sidekicks are. Like, are they just not, are they too old? Are they not strong enough? Or is it like a, they angered me kind of thing? Or is it like Kronk? Do they like start to develop a conscience about it? And she doesn't want to deal with that. Yeah, and then they try to kill her and she's like, well, you gotta go. Yeah, it's called a cruel irony. <laughs> and she does, she does have that ready to go murder sidekick lever. Yes. So, <laughs> um, obviously she's, she's been through that before. The whole sidekick developing a conscience. So, Kronk loses Cusco on Pacha's cart, and Pacha takes Cusco home to his chagrin. And Cusco demands that he Pacha take him back, and Pacha doesn't. Just He just doesn't. He's like, no, if I'm going to take you back, you have to promise me that you'll leave my village alone. And Cusco's, Cusco's like, I don't have to do anything for anyone. Well, I believe what he says is, I don't make promises with peasants. And that's like a, that's like a double fuck you. And so Pach is like, fine, whatever, go die in the jungle, I guess. I don't know where this note came from. <laughs> I don't remember where this note came from, but it says, I most identified with Cusco when he was interrupting something important to make a point. <laughs> oh, you know what it was? It was when he was stopping the movie. Yeah, yes, yes. Which is one of the best framing devices that this movie has is... Throughout the film, um, A, you have Cusco, the narrator, who is Cusco from the beginning of the movie. Well, he's Cusco from about the halfway point of the movie, right? No, because Cusco from the halfway point of the movie tells him to shut up. Yeah, but I was I was watching this. Here, wait, I think I made a note about it. <laughs> uh, well, it can't be that note. <laughs> um, fold the paper in half. And check there. Oh, uh, no. But I put, I did put that it's an interesting idea that Kuzco's so self-absorbed that he narrates his own life. And that's why <laughs> I sort of felt like what was happening in the forest. Because this is the first time Disney broke the fourth wall to tell the story. And they went hard. But the way I, like, I, like, put it together in fiction, and I don't know why I did it this time watching through it, I was thinking, what if he is just so full of himself that he's just always thinking about his life like a story that he gets to narrate. And at this moment when he's the lowest of the low and still trying to make himself the hero, he just can't take it anymore. And it takes it takes him being in that place for him to finally realize I'm not the narrator of my own story. And I think after that moment, the narrator is pretty much gone. I think he comes back later as a narration, although it might be that I wrote this down later because that's when I thought of it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I, f I remember there just not being any more narrative breaks past that point, which if, if they, if that is what they did, that's a super fucking like cool way to handle that. Oh, definitely. Because as we find out in the second movie, breaking the fourth wall too much yeah, it hurts. It gets exhausting. It gets exhausting. Deathly exhausting. So, okay. Cusco decides, so Cusco takes Pacha's advice and goes off to get killed by jaguars. 
Exactly. And I love, I wrote this down, I love the dichotomy of the squirrel with the balloon in the dark, terrifying forest. The squirrel with the balloon in the dark, terrifying South American forest perfectly epitomizes the weird cinematic universe that the Emperor's New Groove takes place in. Right. And most of the time, because in a lot of our other ones, I've in a lot of our other episodes, I've complained about a movie being too cartoony. And this movie sort of does it right. It hits that perfect bar. Where they're telling the story and then they'll just insert cartoon logic and you're just like, okay, I guess this is where we are now. I'll just go with it. I think what it is, though, is that it's a universe that has earned that cartoon logic because it's it's Mayan in aesthetic, but there's a lot of aspects of the film that aren't Mayan, like having buttons. I was going to say, it's very, um, there's a lot of modernized stuff that they reference. Yeah, like having elevators, things like that. that There's just like a moment where the chef is packing all of his stuff in a suitcase, and he's got a suitcase. And he puts on a fedora. Yeah, like a traveling hat. A traveling salesman hat. And he... Yes. There are a lot of little things like that in the movie that make it okay when the movie decides to go full cartoon. But, like, in, say, Pocahontas 2, that's the real world. That's history. Yeah, apparently closer to history than we thought. Than we thought. Closer to history than we thought. But, like, it's history where we have this, like, very anthropomorphized raccoon. And it's weird. And you reject it a bit. Hey, look, I found another quote. So, Pacha goes to save Cusco... Yes, he in does. One of my favorite scenes in any cartoon ever. <laughs> they end up tied to a log, they fall down, and Kuska says, Don't tell me, we're about to go over a huge waterfall. Yep. yep. Sharp sharp rocks at the bottom? Looks likely. Bring it on. <laughs> it's oh. And then as they're falling, he just goes like Yahoo! It it's was- I've I remember that line was in every trailer for the VHS release was, of the Emperor's yeah. New Groove. And it was in the uh, the video game that I talked about playing. Oh, that's awesome. That's good. It's um, real quick. Uh, I want everyone, uh, because a lot of people might not remember the uh, theatrical release poster for The Emperor's New Groove, go look it up. It's fantastic because it's just Cusco standing there like arms wide open and the words me in large block lettering above him. It's awesome. That's that is, marketing. That is a good, that is a good um, poster, because it epitomizes just the point of the whole movie right there. It's a good minimalist poster, basically. One of the better ways of doing a poster without the title of the movie. If you want an example of one of the worst ways, look at any of the marketing for the new Jason Bourne movie, because I hate it. All right, let's talk about the Jason Bourne movie, I guess. Come on, Andy. Just real quick. Just, I'm just, really, just a real quick aside. Just a real quick okay. aside. Okay. One of the posters okay. just says Matt Damon. With the, re- with the release date on it. Ugh. It doesn't even have, like, a picture. It's just white Matt Damon date. There's the moment, there's a great little moment where Pacha has to give Cusco mouth to mouth. Mouth to mouth. Uh, yep, ma- yes, Pacha, it was not a kiss. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, they're both very shaken by the experience, obviously. Yes, but here's my problem with that scene. It immediately cuts into another scene where it shows Pacha's kids having prophetic dreams about it. Yes. Well, it's because they love This is never addressed. So this is never addressed in either movie that his kids are psychic. Love is stronger than gravity, Tony. What? <laughs> what? No, never mind. I don't know. What? I just made a reference. I just made, like, a very obscure reference that 
hopefully one person will get. Congratulations on that one person. We do not have enough uh we do not have enough listeners yet to make it plausible that one person got it, but if so, good on you. I even if somebody just like like many years from now decides to listen back on this for some reason, that guy, you Maybe somebody who's really big into Kronk's new groove. And it's like, why haven't they started talking about my favorite movie yet? <laughs> oh, well, I got some news for you. So the next the next note I, I have is about when Cusco is at his most evil. So if you have anything to say before that, I'd love to hear it. Because we really are putting off talking about this movie. Yeah, just, um, just, I just really want to real quick mention how much I love Pacha's family. Like, Oh, they're great. Like, Pacha's wife and two kids are like, A- Congratulations for having not one, but two kids in a movie that I don't hate. I love them both in this movie. They're both pretty great. I in hate them movie. in the second movie. Yeah, they're great in this movie. They we'll are talk great about in them this in, movie. We'll talk about them in the second movie when we get there. And Pacha's wife is just, I get, I just very actionable. Like, her... I don't exactly... She's basically... She's basically what you could think of as the perfect mother. Basically, like, the perfect wife and mother. And you don't want, you don't want a female character who's like just a great mother and that's all she is, but she's so good at it and also kind of so interesting in the, in the little ways, like when she has to interact with Kronk and Yzma, she does that so well that it, she, she makes up for what would in other stories be a really boring character, you know? Yeah. And she, she gets, she gets like, three amazing lines um my favorite being when later in the film she locks Isma and Kronk in the closet every character in this movie has a time to shine and it's one of the great things about this movie you know that's absolutely true so so Cusco and Kronk are walking across a bridge yes and I believe you had a note about this well my note was that when Cusco when uh you called Kronk Pacha, and we're not keeping score this time. You called Pacha Kronk, and we're not keeping score this time. So when Pacha falls through the bridge, Cusco goes to um, goes to leave him, but he's so evil that he starts monologuing, and that's his downfall, because then he gets stuck, too. He was free and clear, mm-hmm. and he made the classic villain mistake of going back to brag one last time. And they get into a really cool fight that turns into a really cool escape scene. That also happens to bring up one of the other best quotes from this movie. Which you might know off the top of your head, I don't know. It's, uh, you know, it's a good thing you're not a big fat guy or this would be really difficult. Yeah, yep, that is that is another line that was in every VHS trailer. In every trailer, yep. <laughs> And I love it all unapologetically. I'm going to go through the next couple of scenes really quickly. um, Just so that we can talk about uh, one of the best montages in movie history. So there are just there are a few scenes. It goes into a chase montage because they're trying to beat Yzma and Kronk to the castle. It's the best chase montage ever. After Cusco and Pacha save themselves from the falling to their imminent deaths, they decide to make their way to a restaurant to stop and eat. Cusco does have his redeeming moment there, too, where he saves Pacha. Cusco, Cusco has a very a very brief redeeming moment. And that's he, when Pacha decides he's, he actually is going to help him because he's just good guy Pacha. 
Yeah, I think P- Pacha Pacha like his wife is kind of the perfect person. Yeah. They're which, both like way too good for this world. Yeah, and like in any other movie you would think that they would be in, that there would be a scene where you would see Pacha be fallible, but he never is. He's just perfect the whole movie. He's always there at the right time. He always knows the right thing to say. And the thing is, because he's presented as a foil to Cusco, it works. If he was leading the movie, it would be the most boring movie. Because you can't watch a movie about a perfect person. Yeah, like, God, it'd be, re- it'd be terrible. It'd be like watching Peter Pan again. <laughs> You're welcome. Hey, you wanted me to reference uh, Disney movies, right? <laughs> Yay! But since Cusco's there, you feel justified, basically, in having Pacha. Yeah, because even even though Pacha is this perfect person, um, it, it is also kind of his downfall because him trusting Cusco got him into a lot of bad places in this movie, but uh, he never really complains about it. No, he's the most easygoing guy. Yeah, he's uh, hella chill. They make their, the, they, they stop by uh, to get some food, and earlier in the, the scene, um, Krunk and Isma run into the squirrel with the balloon um, after searching for Cusco for what seems like days. What could be days, for all we know. She had to she had to spend some time painting the palace. I don't know. I mean, Cusco has the power to snap his fingers and have a beautiful archway. I'm sure Yzma could get the palace yeah, painted right. pretty quickly as well. Could just happen overnight, or, le- or an hour, for all we know. Yeah, so, but it's been at least a couple of days, and they, they're out in the jungle looking for Cusco, trying to finish the job. And so, Kronk, apparently, Kronk can talk to squirrels, which is... One of those things that would feel like an ass pull, but... But it works. But really works. Especially, once again, because he's presented as such a foil to Yzma. He can talk to squirrels. The squirrel doesn't even want to see her. In in literally any other movie, the ability to talk to animals would, would make you the Disney princess. But in this movie, it makes you the villain's henchman. And you, you can say that, and that's kind of including the sequel, because Kronk is just, it's just so bullshit that he can talk to squirrels in that one. It really <laughs> and it like no doesn't sense. mean anything or do anything, and it's so good in this one. Okay, so they talk to the squirrel, they get the information on, uh, Cusco. On a talking llama. On a talking llama. And they make their way to, coincidentally, the same restaurant. There are a lot of coincidences in these movies, in this movie, that work. Yeah, and um, the restaurant scene, and I don't think we should spend too much time on it because we're spending a lot of time on this movie that we shouldn't be. Yeah. But the restaurant scene's amazing. There's a lot that happens in that scene. We learn that Kronk is a good cook, and man, do they not use that well in the next movie. Mm, uh, oh. He, like Pacha, is the most easygoing person. Yeah, he just he just steps right into being an amazing cook. And it ain't no thing. And once again, we learned that Yzma and Cusco are basically exactly the same, as they both change their orders at the same time, and yep. Kronk can't even tell them apart. Honestly, the the thing separating Cusco and Yzma is Cusco can still change. I was gonna say, yeah, like 70 years of hatred, basically. <laughs> like, Cusco hasn't been evil for 70 years. Right, Yzma's still just so angry and stuck in her ways, and she just wants power for power's sake. And Cusco's just a brat who doesn't know any better. So there, there, there is room for improvement with one that 
that you just can't have with the other. And again, yeah, we shouldn't talk about this scene for too long because, yeah, we've been talking about this movie for way too long. We have. We really need to get on to the next movie. But it's like, it's like... The, the, it's the like more we talk about cuddled, this, the harder it is to move on. It's it's like being held in your mother's arms when you're a baby. And knowing that if you leave that embrace, you're just going to fall down some stairs into fire. I would have gone with the whole, uh... No, you know, that's an apt description, actually. Okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah, alright. Um, so are we at the chase montage? Yeah, sure, why not? Let's go there. Yeah. We've, we've talked about all the scenes in between already, so... The chase I love, montage. I love the chase montage. On top of having the catchiest tune, like, mm-hmm. is like is the max breaking of fourth wall that this movie gets, where Krunk and Cusco left behind a trail of dotted red lines that Izma and Krunk are looking at in befuddlement. They okay, turn I wonder around. if you heard yourself say Krunk twice. God damn it. <laughs> this is going to become a thing for this podcast now. Uh, it's just when two characters are so similar, it's hard. All right, they are. They it's are very hard. similar. But Pacha, Pacha and, Cusco. and Cusco, Pacha and Cusco leave behind red dotted lines, and Krunk and Isma look down at them in befuddlement, turn around, and see that they are leaving purple dotted lines of the various design behind them, and they kind of just shrug and move They're on. Like, All right, Pacha and Krunk get to where the bridge was and get across. Okay, wait, 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 of, wait, uh, wait, wait, wait. You said Pacha wait, wait, and wait, Krunk. Wait, wait, wait. God now you got the it. other one wrong. You just ah, want Kronk to be in right. every scene in this movie so that you it's there's because, no reason to make the next movie. Yeah, because this is just Kronk's new groove, right? It's this movie where he he's, he he goes from being uh, a henchman with no character to this amazing three-dimensional person who can talk to squirrels, knows how to cook, has a conscience I uh, just that's imagined. exemplified by two angels on his shoulders. Right? I just the movie. I just imagined a version a a world where Kronk's new groove was just shot for shot the Emperor's new groove, but it's all Kronk. <laughs> it's Kronk acting out the events of the first movie. Right. It's like Kronk's one man show. If the if Kronk's new groove like started with Kronk being an actor who acted out the story of the Emperor's New Groove and it was called Kingdom of the Rising Sun, <gasps> that would be a legit yes! hilarious joke. Oh, I would love that. Oh my god. But no, that's not what Kronk's New Groove is. No, it's not. It's like <laughs> three it's so. like three separate stories that aren't any good smashed together into one story. That doesn't make any sense with the lowest stakes ever. God it's, it makes, it's, I don't want to talk about it right now. All right. We're, we're going to have to. We're just going to sprint to the end of this movie. Pacha and Cusco make their way across. Yzma and Krunk fall to their seemingly, seeming deaths. Um, Krunk pulls the wrong lever, but him and Cusco eventually make it into Yzma's secret lab, where Yzma and Krunk have been waiting for them this whole time. The movie. Okay, 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 okay. You said Krunk like four times again. <laughs> <laughs> But it's fine, just keep going. We'll fix it in post. You know, alright, just really quick, we'll fix it in post. Really (laughs) quickly, I'm gonna just let everyone, I'm gonna let everyone know that I am on really heavy painkillers right now. That's true, don't blame Andy for all the things he says. So if I seem more manic than usual... And also, he was definitely on really heavy painkillers when we were talking about Return to Neverland. Wink. Got your back, Andy. Thank you. Yes, that too. Also that. Yes. Because I just listened to that again, and you you could not remember that that girl's name. Uh, 
Jane. Yep, it's Jane. It's not nice. Wendy. Yes. Okay, so they get Wendy. to the they get to the lair. Kronk and Yuzma have beaten them there. Have beaten them there, which the movie takes an aside to explain in in that they also don't understand. But this is By the way all the accounts, movie has to go. It does not make sense. Yes, and that is probably the most gifable moment of this movie. Well, that like, and I've also seen Pacha that. pinching his fingers because when the sun hits that ridge just right, these hills sing. That that moment of him pinching his fingers is like still a meme. Is it okay? I don't I don't yep. remember yes, that one. Is. I just see I just see uh, by all accounts it doesn't make sense or it makes no sense. We, me and you both like live on different halves of an internet canyon. I think. Yeah, I'm not on Facebook. You're on Facebook? No, I'm not on Facebook. I'm not on Facebook either. This is a small canyon we're on. Yeah, this is a real... I guess this canyon is smaller than we think it is. Yeah. A Twitter canyon then, maybe. A Twitter canyon. The great canyon of Twitter. Real loose canyons. Anyway. (laughs) Okay. So Yzma throws Kronk a wicked-looking dagger and tells him, kill them, basically. Mm -hmm. And Kronk, in a crisis of faith, decides instead to try and kill Yzma. Wait, but... The thing is that that moment, that crisis of faith moment where it's first like, I don't know whether or not to kill them. And then she insults his spinach puffs and then everybody, both like his shoulder angel and his shoulder devil are pissed. And so, whoa, whoa. And so the exact line, I did not write it down, but I just, it just popped into my head now is remember justice comes from above and they look up and it's the chandelier and they all go. That'll work. Kronk's fatal mistake in this scene was not riding the rope up to the rafters. <laughs> if if Kronk had ridden the rope up to the rafters, you know what this the, this movie would have ended a lot faster. I loved the ending of this movie. I loved a lot of stuff about the climax of this movie. If it had turned out that Kronk was going to turn on Yzma and end up being the hero, and Pacha and Kuzka were, like, sort of not going to get a final scene, it would not have been as good a movie, but I would have loved it more. Yzma, as we mentioned earlier, pulls her in-case-my-sidekick-betrays-me lever, and Kronk falls to his seeming death. Right. Uh, My sidekick betrays me again, presumably. Like, this had to have happened yeah. before. You don't just have that lever. I mean, she has it. Yeah, you don't just have that ready to go. That's actually probably why she has the other lever. That other lever, yeah. And then she sends all the guards after them for killing the emperor, which is smart. Yes, and then they all get Even turned into the, animals. Even though one of them's a demon llama. And they all get turned into animals, and then, hey, I've been turned into a cow. Can I go home? Yes, that line is great. That line is great for two reasons. One, he's the only guard that lives. <laughs> All of well, the other, the other guards thing. die. The other line I have written down is, Come on, men! Nobody lives forever! So, so all the guards um, die, and Yzma decides to take matters into her own hands. Hijinks is turned into a cat. Sorry, yep. I'm skipping ahead. Yzma's no, no, turn- fine. That, you, you, we're, you literally finished We are finished spending too much time. Yzma is cur- turned to a cat. She gets knocked out by Kronk. Kuzco what are the odds that he would show up at this point in the movie? Yes. He turns back into a human. Uh, him and Pacha resolve their differences. You know, they hug. And then the movie ends with Cusco and Pacha at Cusco's new um, summer shack that is uh, on the hill right next to Pacha's. And they got like a like a little swimming pool for them both to, for them all to share. And there's a uh, Pacha's wife whose name escapes me has a baby, and she has yeah she crocheted I think they said Cusco a uh I think poncho. it's a poncho a poncho with a llama on it, and it's great. It's a great ending scene. It is 
fantastic. And, and we've been talking for an movie, hour about this first movie. And the movie ends, and it's wonderful, and it's amazing, and isn't it great that that, that was the movie? Wow. <laughs> so, um, I loved this movie. I thought it was great. How did you feel about it, Tony? Well, Andy, I think we need to backtrack for a second. Because I, oh. I seem to, oh, yeah? Did... I seem to recall watching a different movie. Oh, what? I don't know what you're talking about. I it's a movie. Weren't we just gonna? It's a movie. This is uh... our new. This is our new podcast. Only theatrical releases. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Why didn't we make that podcast? We could have just talked about the Lion King. That means we we would have we would have had to talk about Peter Pan though. Ugh, yeah, that would have been rough. I'm really happy that there's no Hercules two. There actually is a Hercules two. Oh, are you shitting me? It's called Zero to Hero, and I don't know. I'd never heard of it before I started looking up movies, and it exists. And we're gonna end up watching it at some point. Okay, so so Kronk's new groove. There are a lot of send ups at the beginning of the movie. First, there's the mirror of Cusco's opening. And somehow being covered in cheese takes away from the whole drama of the scene. Like, Cusco's opening is he's crying in the woods and it's raining on him and he's at his lowest. And Kronk's lowest is covered in cheese. So, yeah, Kronk's lowest point is being covered in cheese and hugging a cheese teddy bear. Yeah, and that's pathetic, but it's not, it's not as gripping as Cusco's, you know? That's, that's the thing is, it's pathetic, but it doesn't make me want to know how it happened. The voiceover of a llama crying in the rainforest of somebody going, you know, I used to be an emperor, like that. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Exactly. But there is already, this movie lets you know, there. By, hey, just to let you know, there are no stakes here. Hey, it's me, Patrick Warburton. I just want to let you know, there are no stakes in this movie. Then we cut over, because Kronk starts telling us, the audience, his story. We cut over to a new song that is wholly unnecessary. Cusco had a reason for somebody to sing songs about him, and Kronk doesn't. And also the song is called Be True to Your Groove, and it goes on for about five minutes too long. Which I'm pretty sure it's only like a two minute song. It's yeah. definitely five minutes too long. Its entire its entire it existence is unwarranted. Just something to throw out really quickly. Everybody in this movie sounds tired. You know who doesn't sound tired in this movie? Who? David Spade. Dave da- I think he does. David Spade. David I think David Spade sounds like he wanted to be in this movie and was a little bit disappointed that it gave him three scenes. I, I only, and you know what? I loved one of them. And Which it was one's that? The final one? The last one. The one that wasn't a His cutaway. last, yeah, the one, if, if this movie had no cutaways, if David Spade had just showed up at the end of the movie, like, it's a great thing that I was able to shove my way into this one too, it would have been a perfect joke. Here's the thing. When he says, I wrote it down, I put, being honest, I do like how Kuzco weasels way into this movie. Because Kronk has no foil, and he needed either more Kuzco or Yzma to be a decent character. But that's the thing, though, is what Yzma he has, like, he immediately falls back into just listening to what she says. And here's the other thing. What she says is low-quality evil. It is not even the most evil plan that you could have. It's not It's not about whether or not it's even a good plan. It's, it's low ambition. It's... It's the kind of evil 
I would expect somebody working for the good guys to do. Yeah. And I did put that Cusco shows up, which I called a charming comeback. So I guess I'm wrong. I said I'm comfortable in his jerkassery in a way I'm not with Kronk's dance moves. They put oh, but I did so love much money in the dance. They scenes. put so much animation quality into the, all of these dance scenes, by the way. But They're here's the, the thing, I hated them all. The They're all terrible. Yeah. <laughs> They're all just... It's like the last uh, movie, where they put... There were a bunch of songs in it, but all the songs were bullshit. It's just... I mean, the last movie, like, uh... Return to Neverland, not... The songs... All of the songs in Return to Neverland were terrible. But... Yeah, that's the thing. Nobody in Return to Neverland stopped and start... Well, I mean, they did it once, but nobody in Return <laughs> to Neverland had a dance number. <laughs> that's true. Every so, time a song played. Here's the first moment I liked... Okay. So Kronk is telling his boss, co-worker person, the uh-huh. waitress whose name we never get, Um, he's telling her about why he's sad. And she says something like, are you going to keep babbling about your life or are we actually going to go back to work? And he says, you're right. I have to... You're right. Priorities. And then he's and he's like, okay, sit down. This might be a while. And I actually love yeah. that because that was such like, that a was good a little singer. Joke. Yeah. That was a great little joke. And there's another one uh, later after the second story where he's sitting there crying into these oven mitts like, these are the only things I have left of her. And then he throws them into the fireplace somehow and they burn up and he's like, and now I have nothing. Yeah, but the thing is I was not emotionally invested in those stupid oven mitts. I found that joke to be really funny anyway. So I put that selling snake oil is not the most riveting evil plan, especially because Yzma is an actual genius scientist. She could probably come up with something that at least has like amphetamines in it yeah, so people get a li- buzz she was able to she was able to like turn herself almost all the way back into a human and also turn herself into a bunny like why what was stopping her from doing something a little more with this slime that she had a, a hand on i but I put, did put that's interesting that she knows she needs kronk because he's charismatic it's not because he's strong like before it's because people trust him and you know what the, the the whole plot point that people trust and like Kronk mm-hmm. is a fantastic plot point because we as an audience in the first movie loved and trusted Kronk. Exactly. And I don't think they used it very well. Yeah, th- the way the way the people feel about him is definitely based off of what the audience felt about him. And they don't do anything with it. Yeah, like you said, like they just it's just it's a fact that the movie tells you. The next thing on my list is a little bit later. So, but the point of the point of the story is that he gets a mansion on a hill by selling all this snake oil to like his father always wanted by selling snake oil. And then it turns out that one he realizes the snake oil is bullshit, which he didn't know because of course he didn't because he's crumb. And two, it turns out that Yzma is getting elected for emperor. And there's a throwaway line that's I didn't know it was an elected position, but more importantly, that I also loved. Yeah, that was a good line, but more importantly, I was judging Yzma pretty freaking hard because when you sell fake product you leave town before people figure it out you don't stick around to be elected into an office that you're not actually getting unless you organize a coup like that's a bad decision yisma's pretty stupid in this movie 
She's a genius in the other movie. I mean, everyone's pretty stupid in this movie. Cusco appears to be about the same. Yeah, I was going to say, I think the exception is Cusco, who seems to just be Cusco. He just Cusco's his way through this movie. Pacha's wife, whose name I still can't remember. She seems to be about Chicha. the same character. I'm sorry? Chicha. Chicha. She seems to be about the same character. Maybe a little stupider, but like negligible stupider. If only because at the end of the movie, she decides to go along with Krunk's really dumb plan of renting yeah but only because it seems like her husband's gonna and he does and he does in a scene that caused me to close my laptop and (laughs) walk away for a couple minutes i was beyond finished i dread this so crunk's new groove is an hour and 12 minutes long it is no Uh reason to be an hour and 12 minutes long i i somehow managed to watch it over the span of two hours because i kept pausing the movie and just kind of really sitting there and absorbing its brilliance i understand i just didn't get this movie tony it's too smart for me. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's definitely it. I will say this. It had a lot of genuinely well-written one-liners that didn't need to be there. Like, I wrote this one down where Kronk's secretaries or personal assistants yes. are leaving and he says, Don't cry for me, Margentina. <laughs> and I wrote specifically, This movie has no shame. This, yeah, it's... It's, uh, oh man, it's a great joke. It's, it's a great joke. <laughs> that, that, they it, the did movie a great job of setting more up, too. Or less of those. Yeah, there was a great job of setting up, because he gets their names mixed up, and there's not really a reason for him to have done that. Ugh, it's just... So, the, the second story... Okay, so actually, let me just, let me roll back a bit. So this, the the framing device of this movie is Kronk narrating how he got to the position of being covered in cheese and hugging a cheese teddy bear. Yes. Okay, right. Um, Inception-like, there is also, while he is describing to the audience what's happening, Kronk in this story that Krunk is telling us is telling his manager two stories about how he got to the position of being scared that his father's coming to visit. Yeah. Yeah, he is doing that. And here's the thing. I didn't love the first story. The first story used Yzma in kind of a crappy way. I liked her her fate. Oh, that was great. Where she turns into a little rabbit so nobody can, because nobody will, like, attack a little rabbit. And then a hawk just grabs her. And Kronk goes, well, that was weird. Yeah, it's just like, well. But the thing is, I did like, to a certain extent, the old folks. And I liked the idea that Yzma used Kronk for his likability instead of his strength. Like, that's why she needed him. But I hated everything about this story. It is... The second story is just nothing. It is nothing. It takes a throwaway joke at the end of the first movie Mm -hmm. and drags it on. A joke that in the first movie wasn't even that funny. Yeah. Drags it and drags it on for 30 minutes. Okay, so let's go over this. So I have written here, either this movie or I have lost the plot completely. Why? It's definitely the movie. Why is there Mesoamerican Mary Poppins as Krog's love interest? She has a British accent for no reason. I know. She's supposed to be Mesoamerican, like everybody else. Like everybody else has American accents? Right. And hers is British, I guess, so she sounds tough on the kids? I think because they're like pompous 
It's terrible. I hate it. I think, here's what I think. I was thinking about this. I think that the people who wrote this thought that making somebody exactly like Kronk, but more stiff and more uptight, was making a foil to him. And that's not what was happening. Because Kronk's entire purpose, I've said this like four times already, is to be a foil. That what they needed to do was create a character that could bounce off of Kronk. Yes, that'd be great. Maybe if they if they were sold on doing this stupid Boy Scout, Cub Scout thing, maybe a kid who's, like, fucking mean. Or maybe not mean. I don't know how to make a good anti-Kronk character, you know? I'm not saying it's easy. But I think it would have to be something with the kids to make it a decent story. Because they don't focus on the kids here to the point where they leave their kids alone to have a creepy like sex dancing baking scene yeah it that entire scene like as i was watching it my entire thought was is this all a metaphor for the fact that they put bread in an oven and then just just baked did it. the dirty do baked it man they, ba- they baked that bread when they there's a scene where they're rolling the bread together and he is behind her and it looks like he's thrusting and it's not okay he's well it's because they're dancing okay quote, unquote, dancing but that's creepy as hell. And also, that musical the number, dance scene goes on for like 15 minutes, I swear to God. It lasts, it lasts for so long, and and in it, they parody like almost every disco music video you can think 40 other of. movies. Yeah, there's no reason for it. For no it. reason. But You know what I was thinking I'm, about the entire time I was watching it? Uh-huh. I mean, no, I was just thinking, kill me. <laughs> I, the entire time I watched this scene, my thought was, I really wish I was watching an extremely goofy movie right now. I mean, we'll get there. <laughs> That's got to be a direct-to-video, right? Extremely goofy movie? I mean, it is, but I think, I think, but the goofy movie was also direct-to-video. Oh, was it? Those are so separate we can, episodes. So we can watch, yeah, so we can watch the first one and have a whole episode on it. Oh, that'll be good, because that's just a, you know, that's just a goofy movie. It's a feel-good movie about what it means to be a single dad. Yes. But we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves because I had other notes about this stupid, stupid, stupid storyline. It's, it's, it is exhausting. So here's the thing. There's a whole competition that Kronk has won every year. And now there are these other kids who are just as good. So they're going all out, right? Yeah. Here's the thing. They're the only troops. So has Kronk won unopposed? Because that's not really winning. That's just like going for swims and stuff. Not only that, but like Kronk can't have been doing this for that long. Yeah, because the baby's still a baby. It's it's ha- it's it's a half old. That baby's a half old. This is impossible. This I didn't entire, realize that yeah. this timeline is broken and fractured. This there Kronk's is got no a DeLorean. Way. Cusco's got a time turner. Yzma's got, <laughs> Yzma's got, what's Yzma got? Uh, I don't know. A TARDIS? yzma has got a TARDIS. I want to give her, uh, I mean, I guess TARDIS are not inherently good, so yeah, sure. I was trying to think of an evil one, but I don't know, maybe like the time machine from, um, the time machine would be a good one, because that's kind of clunky and kind of evil looking, it's like got it's a big It's pretty drill. sinister. So here's the thing, there's a line that I don't really remember, but I wrote it down for a reason. It must be that this stupid... Mary Poppins chick tells her kids to like give a big smile or something and I wrote down never trust anyone who tells you to smile unless you're taking a picture because the creepiest worst thing you can say to a kid is oh you should smile smile more it's on 
honestly the creepiest thing you can say. It, it's a thing. It's one of the creepiest things you could say to a person. It is one of the creepiest things you say to a person. Me, as an adult male, I feel like I could handle it by saying a good fuck you. If you say it to a woman, it's probably sexual harassment. <laughs> because, like, just don't, like, if somebody's not smiling, big fucking whoop, dude. They're not yeah, there for you to look at. It. Yeah. Okay, so I put that, I wrote that there's a lot of, this must be right before the baking scene where I wrote this down, because this is when it's most prevalent. There's low drama in this movie, which I define as extremely mundane situations that are treated as epically important. Yes. Well, like, the whole, the whole premise of this movie is that Kronk wants his dad to give him a thumbs up. A thumbs up. Like, who a cares? Fucking, like, not even... Kronk. Not even... Not the words, I'm proud of you, son. Not... Not like a hug, because he clearly hasn't gotten a hug. Yeah. Not like, my last will and testament, all of my things go to you, because you're my son. Not, you're the best son I have. Not, your other brothers are dead. Like, nothing. He, <laughs> What he wants from his dad is a thumbs up. Something that you can get by accident. Like... Yeah, you say, hey, dad, how's that steak? And he's eating, so he's not gonna, like, he's not gonna say anything. He's just, yep. Good steak. Thumbs up, and then and then fuck, you're done. I've achieved my all. Last he goal. needed to do. He's a fucking cook. He could have just cooked him a goddamn steak and been like, this "Hey, Dad, how's that steak?" Five minutes long. This movie could have been this movie. That that was the the big thing I was thinking about the entire time I was watching this film. Is this entire movie did not have to exist? If, if anything, this movie makes Crunk an unlikable person. It genuinely does. And I'm about to get to the point where I started to hate him. But first, so there's a scene where he writes to his dad about getting a girlfriend, and he says they're gonna take it slow, and then he writes out how he's gonna marry her. And I and know it's have just a lot of kids. I know it's just a popular thing in, like, media to do the whole Jewish stomping on the glass thing. And usually, especially in this universe, I don't mind that they put in, like, stuff that would not fit. But after after our British uh, Mesoamerican love interest, the fact that Kronk is apparently Mesoamerican Jewish somehow really got to me. Yeah. It's just not possible. <laughs> So Kronk and Miss Birdwell, that's her name, by the way. She doesn't even have a Mesoamerican name. Like, they didn't even fucking try. No, she doesn't. She has a name that sounds like it came from the wild thornberries. Like, she sounds like fucking a substitute teacher for a magic school bus. Like, who gives a shit about this character? <laughs> <laughs> literally nobody like the reason that they decide to sexually bake bread together is because mm. they both realize we've gotten too into this competition our kids are unhappy so we should try to cheer them up Kronk gave the worst like he literally said the worst things you can say to a child in the heat of competition I... which are the words do whatever you can to win no it's just do whatever it takes to win but sorry do whatever it takes to win do whatever it takes to win do whatever it takes to win while not a great thing to say can definitely be taken at to mean give 110% my issue is not with Kronk there my issue is when that kid's being a little shit and he's being yelled at by Miss British Face, who is this kid's caretaker right now. He should know that a child needs to be disciplined when they do something bad because otherwise they will not associate that misconduct with bad with negative emotion and they have a higher chance of becoming like fucking Cusco and he should know this because he takes care of children all the time he goes up and he jumps on that grenade for no reason there are no stakes involved all that's happening is a kid is getting yelled at for yeah cuz those the, those kids could have died yeah but like they were fucking twirling 
They're fucking twirling bamboo, which doesn't exist in the Americas, by the way. But that's that's actually the other thing. I don't know a lot about cheerleading competitions. In cheerleading competitions, do you have to put powder on your hands? Um, it's it's used to kind of get yourself a bit more grip. Yeah, I always I like I know it happens in gymnastics when they have to, you know, do weird shit on poles and stuff. But I just never imagined holding onto somebody's shoes would do the same thing. I don't know. And I mean, they were holding onto those weird bamboo poles. Yeah, I guess. Weird bamboo poles, which, yes, again, did not exist. And there's no parallel to them in the Americas. So this is ridiculous. You know, and here's my, my biggest my biggest thing is like he incidentally encourages this child to cheat. Oh, but another thing to note, the child who cheats is is Pacha's son. So not, not just some child. Right. One of his best friend's children. Yes. And also, this is a kid who I who I liked in the last movie, and in this movie is apparently just bafflingly Yzma crazy. in the making. Yeah. Like, he gets his own Yzma plan diagram animated diagram. Oh, yeah. And the reason and the reason he was found out is because they used, is because he used a callback joke that there was no reason to call back to because it wasn't a good joke. Yeah, it wasn't even particularly funny. What Kronk should have done, what he should have done, was if anything if the way you frame this scene so that Kronk both has to confront Miss Birdwell in a way that makes her unhappy while still being a good caretaker is to have Miss Birdwell lay into the kid a bit too hard but you can't do that because apparently this is a Disney Channel original fucking movie well that would be good if she laid him to him too hard and got like really in his face and like maybe he started crying like real gasping crying and then Kronk, like, and Kronk maybe gets protected and was like, whoa, 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 stop. Like, yes, what he did was bad, and yes, he needs to be punished, but this is taking it too far. Exactly. (sighs) But the thing is, nothing in this, in this whole story was handled well. Once again, there were elements of the last story that I kind of liked, that I could have seen being an okay story. And this one, there was nothing, there was nothing redeemable about it. It was just bad. So, in the next scene, Kronk's dad shows up. They get into a wacky sitcom. They can do a wacky sitcom. Scenario. Scenario. Where he's pretending that Chicha? Yes. Is his wife. Pacha's kids are his kids. And Pacha, through a misunderstanding, has dressed up as his mother-in-law. That Kronk's dad then creepily starts hitting on immediately? That is not yes. cool. But first, he almost gives Kronk a thumbs up. And they started playing the Lion King music and I was so fucking mad that that was funny (laughs) I was like how dare they make me think that was funny (laughs) how dare they finally make a good joke in this shit ass movie I was pissed I can understand that I can understand that heavily I was so tired watching this whole movie. Oh, definitely. By the that's time what, I this what got to me. I got tired. I just it's so boring. It's and it's cringy. Yeah, especially the weird dance sex scene. This is one of the more problematic movies. And then everything and then and then at the end, Kronk realizes that no, he wouldn't trade all of his friends for everything in the world. So including a thumbs up. And so then his dad gives him a thumbs up, which is like the fucking least you could do, yo. Like what what was he gonna do? Just leave? No. Like he doesn't wanna break ties with his son. Also apparently apparently a surly old guy, apparently. Yeah. So there's a there's a plot hole in this film. 
is there now? Yes, there is. Because a really big one. We already discovered time travel. Uh, Pacha's son real- realizes what he must do. Goes and runs off and finds Miss British Lady. And no, never sure he how goes happened. and runs off, and he comes back. Two kids in a suit style, dressed up as Pacha's wife. Oh yeah, and then comes back and with the British also, lady. That's weird. And also comes back with the British lady. Do you know what this is, right? It's time travel, Andy. It's more time travel. That's why she's not mad at him still, because he went back to before she got. He mad. was there while they were doing the creepy sex dance. Ugh, I hated that sex dance. <sighs> and then. What else happens? Then the movie finishes in a musical dance scene. In another dance scene. Like the fifth one in this Which I was movie. real disappointed by. I think that's it. Yeah. No, no. no. Um, also, uh, Kronk's dad and his manager are together now, I think. Oh, yeah. That was yeah. a thing that the movie just said kind of like, we, we fucked up this entire baseball game. We might as well slide directly into the dugout because <laughs> we don't have any standards anymore. Like, <laughs> did you just well, did you just make that up, or is that something people say? Huh? No, I just made that up. I don't think that's anything people say. Okay, when we get popular, it's going on a shirt. <laughs> I enjoy that a lot. Okay. Yeah, like it's like this movie made me retroactively like Pocahontas too. You know what? That's what Peter Pan did. A lot of stuff is making me le- retroactively like Pocahontas too more. Like it's not that bad. Right, Pocahontas 2 had effort put behind it. Was it a good movie? Not really. You know what? You know what the thing is? Is Uh Lion King 2 and Pocahontas 2, they believed that they were making a full sequel to these movies. They were trying. They were going for it. Kronk's New Groove doesn't even give a shit. No, it doesn't. That's that's the main issue. That it just... Cusco and Drag was nice, though. That was funny. All callbacks. Yes, that's the thing. If they had put Cusco in it, I honestly think they could have saved the movie. Because we needed some, like, snarky asshole. David Spade was there. He wanted to do it. Yeah, do you know how easy it is to get David Spade for your movie? Yeah, like, what's he doing, Joe Dirt 2? I think I could get David Spade for a movie. Like, I don't even think it would be that hard. I'm not saying he has low standards. I'm just saying he's up for it. Yeah, like, I think I think if he thinks it's a fun project, he would totally be down. You know what this movie should have been called? Kronk's Old Groove, because the whole point of the movie is that Kronk doesn't change. Actually, you're right, because it's about staying true to your groove, as they say about a million times <laughs> but yeah he doesn't go through any big change which is the biggest sort of disappointment in the movie because you can't really have a movie without change i guess you can say he went through a change because he learned a lesson but it's not the same thing yeah he learned that his dad's thumbs ups are not worth that much but then his dad gives him a thumbs up and he freaks out about it anyway because he cheated he's like fucking ash ketchum he didn't even like beat the gym leader but he got a badge anyway do you know how pissed i was that ash ketchum went through all that bullshit and then didn't even beat the elite four when i was a little kid I think everyone i was like everyone what the hell is the point of this why am i on this journey i was not aware at this time that i could buy a game and beat the elite four myself those questions that you just asked Why am I on this journey? What is the point of this? That is Kronk's new groove. Yep, that's it. This movie did not need to exist. Do we want to go into our feelings about the movie, or do you think we've made it abundantly clear? I think think we've made it abundantly clear. 
this was and i think also this was our uh two minutes yeah this movie was pretty bad end of episode uh we did manage to speak for about an hour about kronk's new groove which is a little bit less than we spoke for emperor's new groove but you know what i think it's okay that we built this particular episode that way because this was just so bad that we weren't going to get a full one out of just talking about the sequel no god no definitely not this was the the roughest ride this was this was a bad one yeah and i think i know I said this in the last move in the last podcast and possibly the one before it but I said that Return to Neverland had heart and Kronk's New Groove doesn't it had I got it I got it here let me let me let me let me turn this into a a a tagline right a hashtag because all of the movies before Kronk's New Groove had heart but Kronk's New Groove had fart (laughs) hashtag fart (laughs) hashtag okay great Great, great, great. I'll have to remember that when when I'm uh, tweeting about it later. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Hashtag fart. Hashtag best boat scene. <laughs> I've been your host, Andres Reyes. And I have been your other host, Tony Robusto. And join us next week for The Fox and the Hound 2. One more thing. Not yet. Let me just say that you can find us, uh, we, we should say, uh, you can find me on Twitter at theaterbats. That's T-H-E-A-T-E-R-B-A-T-S. And you can find me at Royalty Valens. That's Royalty underscore Valens because the underscore is important. to that cow though like (laughs) since i was a child i've just like like did he like go home to his wife and just have to be like honey i'm a cow now and and i know it's gonna be hard i know it's gonna be hard but we have to make this work a cow's still pretty big he could still guard i don't know i think maybe he wanted to go home because he had to rethink his life it's it's one of like the most baffling scenes in the movie because it's a throwaway joke and i think about it every time i see this movie like what happened to that i love that you think about it it's insane that you think about it but i do love it